Blog Talk Radio. way that 
Alicia. So this is part and parcel of how we engage and when it went to find our essentially our karma, which is the choices that we make and the, the consequences of our actions. It's different from uh, misunderstanding of karma is necessarily being inherited sort of form of debt. If you, um, if, if you have inherited anything in terms of the karmic cycle, it's, it's uh, aspects of yourself and your consciousness that have not evolved and that uh, are manifesting themselves again to, um, to result and evolve. And so how do we do that? How do we wake up consciously in our own lifetime and and approach our relationship to existence and to other beings in a more conscientious uh, way. And really that's where we come back to this question of love or fear. One of my favorite quotes regarding that, and it's something that, you know, relates more to romantic love in terms of um, how we distill down and attach our sense of self and creation through seeking you know, a romantic pairing within the person. And, and again, there is a um, biological evolutionary imperative there to, to pair bond as part of the survival of the species. But one of my favorite quotes comes from the Sufi mystic Rumi, wonderful poet, and an incredible amount of depth to Rumi's quotations teachings, right? And this one really stands out, and I hope it uh, offers you something today. Your task is not to seek love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Let me say that again. Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Such a fantastic sentiment and teaching, really. And that is that uh, we place all of our focus and attention and intention on, on being able to attract love towards us. Somehow this will validate our existence. We are. It will give us that kind of comfort and security and completion and um, knowing and belonging that we all aim to have. And again, from a developmental psychology point of view, you could say that that is sort of the healing abandonment, uh, healing of the abandonment from, from our early development. It's where we start to differentiate from our, our um, initial objects of love and our parents and our, our de facto entangled association with beingness in the world and how we're shaped and guided into um, trying to transition into some kind of sense of security um, in relationship with others. And that primary attachment uh, goes back to what uh, Freud termed you know, the oceanic experience of womb. And so we emerge from this sort of perfect state, really, of um, beingness and non-attachment and, and being cared for and nurtured in the womb into this very world of, of phenomenon and stimulation and experience, uh, stimuli and 
and all of the other ways that we associate our experiences and the things that we have to deal with in our lifetime. And so love is an area where we really pile on a big story about who we are and what we deserve and what's possible for us. And so we are at risk, really, to defaulting, probably a good way to put it, to our biological um, design or, or the you know, physical functionality of our, of our brain, so the reprogramming, which is the firefight And so this is the question of Buddhist um, text, really, to tap into the higher consciousness, into the um, innate wisdom, and really simply put, just the insight that we can gain from two things. One is self-awareness. So in, in the contemplative practice, it's not necessarily Buddhist, but any contemplative practice of self-inquiry through meditation, self-study, self-discipline, you're going to develop a trait we call meta-awareness, meta-awareness, that meta-cognition, the ability to 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 witness and observe uh, our, your, the function of your own mind and the way that we experience sort of a higher awareness. And then there is another aspect which you know more profound in a way, and that is simply the experience of being to just be present and just abide in a compassionate way with what you're experiencing in your heart. And this is where we tend to shut down. This is what we've referred to in previous programs in terms of uh, the challenges around being vulnerable. And there is a sort of knee-jerk response that goes with the fragility, the experience of not having any sort of secure ground and not having any control over outcome and being, feeling being open and prone in being vulnerable. But it's also where we get to experience uh, tenderness and affection and and sense of interconnection and interdependency and and love. And so this is a very profound notion that to fully experience uh, love and and life, you have to you know, really be open-hearted. And in the, in in the Buddhist uh, approach, let's call it. Or tradition, the one of the fundamental terms is bodhicitta, and bodhicitta means Buddha mind or, or Buddha nature. But it really, probably more accurately, translates into awakened mind. And as it said, you know, if you ask a, a Buddhist teacher, a lama, a monk, or Tibetan or Ricochet, um, to point to their mind. They're not going to point to their head. This is where in the West we traditionally associate our mind with our brain. And it's a big question in psychology. How, what is mind? What is brain? Where do we locate consciousness in the body? But if you ask many Buddhists, they will point to their heart. And they don't literally mean that your brain is in your heart. But they, what they're pointing to is the point of reference, the ground, if you will, of egolessness and openness to experience. And this is where we really learn and where we really come alive as we are able to 
be available to giving and receiving love. So many experiences in life, you know, we are very, very challenged on that level um, to remain open situations. And so much of our conditioning in society tells us that, you know, it's, it's especially in the West particularly, that it's you against the world, that there's counter to the ideas of interdependence, cooperation, and compassion, and what's called equanimity in, again, the Buddhist teaching, which is the being able to connect to all beings. And you can actually relieve your own suffering by contemplating that, the, that every being on some level suffers. Every being suffers loss. Every being suffers the contemplation of loss, experience of loss, of life. And so... We come back to this uh, bias, if you will, of moving through our lives with a sense of having to defend ourselves. And when you can let go of that fear, when you can really just reside in the space of, especially through connecting to the hurt of others, then it allows you a lot more freedom, a lot more flexibility. For example, uh, for those of you who listen, program and know more about me, I am an Aikido teacher. Aikido is a Japanese defensive art, martial art, if you want to call it that. But it, it, it differs from all the other uh, martial arts in the sense that it is quite paradoxical. It approaches conflict not by trying to overcome conflict with a superior um, prowess, technical ability, or force but by understanding and working with the principle of aggression and how it affects the mind and body. So if you are calm, you have a calm mind-body state, and, and you are able to read situations, you're able to um, have the upper hand, so to speak, uh, for somebody else who is um, in an aggressive state and, and in the form of an attack or verbal or and by being calm, you first of all present a much less vulnerable target, and you present a stronger energy field to that person that's not movable in, in terms of being re reactive. And that's what's going to draw an attack towards you in the first place. Secondly, you can make the minimum effort required to overcome the situation. Um, but you overcome it not by counteracting it directly, an oppositional force but by entering in and becoming one with the center of that development, so in the form of an attacker, rather than coming in at a straight angle and trying to knock the person down or block, punch, and everything that we've seen you know, in popular culture with karate, you know, block, punch, kick, counterpunch, pro boxing, for example, thrust, parry, all of these uh, movements. In Aikido, you're moving in a much more circular fashion. You're, you are sensing and blending harmoniously with the way that the, your partner's attacking before they actually move, ideally, because you are able to read what's happening in, in their tension even before their physical. And, and this is a great task. It's something that we have to do work at and, and be sincere and uh, work with you know, humility to, first of all, be honest about what's happening with ourselves. Very, very slowed down level study 
we see that there's, there's inherent reactivity in ourselves and, and just doesn't work if you're being honest to try and make it work forceful. Even though there are some very clear physical dynamics involved in terms of leverage and uh, dynamics of physics of kinesiology um, and body movement in space, absolutely. You know? That's all true, as it is in, in judo or other parts. You're able to do throws. But ultimately, it's an art that's meant to be there, to be practiced by anybody, and not in a martial application. You know, this, the West, anyway, really in a day-to-day martial society in, like, in the samurai era. Um, other parts of the world certainly have civil warfare, and, and you could argue that uh, inner-city conditions in many of North American cities or even European cities um, have an aspect of you know, martial quality to them. But we're not at war as a militarized day-to-day society. And so the conflicts that we face are internal. They are our reactivity. They are our, our being prone to an aggressive response. And, of course, it's one we love, our children, our, our pets, our families, that, we, that we're going to lash out of and quite often un- unwittingly and unwillingly. And so what we need to do is work with that conditioning. In, in, the, in the traditional teachings, there is a, a notion of uh, awareness or enlightenment having two universal aspects. One is that there's absolute awareness, which is the enlightenment that's from a, a fruition of practice, mindfulness meditation, so Buddha, Buddha enlightenment. Uh, which is a sort of dissolution of self, really, in the ego sense. And then there's also relative enlightenment or relative truth. And so we have to really work with, you know, the relative truth and the relative conditions in which we find ourselves. And uh, and that takes effort. It takes dedication and effort, and it takes modesty and self-awareness to catch it. And so the very simple approach to that, uh, for the purposes of today's program, is simply this to ask yourself, am I responding to the situation from love or fear? And love is not love in the sense of um, Pollyanna, you know, let anyone do whatever they want, sort of laissez-faire attitude, uh, new age kind of attitude. Love can be a very protective and a very um, powerful notion. You know, it's actually the most powerful force in the universe. But We'll continue this program next time and explore the issue further. Really, it does come down to the, the having the courage to to be present with the situation and and be open without obviously taking in a physical and letting a boundary collapse where you're going to be suffering yourself. But I'll end with this, and this is a very again a very um, profound notion. That is the word courage actually has its roots in, in French word cour. Cour means heart. So courage means to have heart. So what we think of as being bravery and acts of uh, fearlessness and um, bravado and valor and all these things. Really, at the root, the, the, the core meaning there is to be of heart. And so when you care, when you're a person of passion and you care, and you're um, a person of principle, then 
um, then you have more obedience because it's the trait of courage and fearlessness. So, so we can look today at fearlessness not being the absence of fear, but the ability to move through fear and to come back to that quality of love, which is um, protective and of, um, of, of everyone involved. And sometimes that means having a boundary with someone else because you need to protect them from themselves. So that's a lot for today, um, and, and uh, we've extended the program to 30 minutes because these talks are just go by too quickly. And once again, we find ourselves extending it to a part two. But I hope you've enjoyed today's program. And uh, as always, we'd love to have you call in and participate on any topic. Uh, we have a chat forum, and uh, you can call in and ask questions in the chat forum or participate or raise a topic. I'm happy to switch in stream. And uh, I've got a little bit of time left, so I think what I'll do is end with a parable. And this story is um, a teaching about uh, love and fear, really. It's, it's, it's about how we hurt ourselves in a misguided notion that we are protecting ourselves or being strong. And the story goes that there was a uh, samurai, in fact, probably a ronin, which is an un unaffiliated samurai without, a, without a, a master, without a house, a clan. And this samurai was wandering through the countryside and came across a, a, a Roshi, a, a Buddhist teacher. Roshi would be a Zen teacher, but... Um, Let's just call it that. And so this Buddhist master comes upon this brusque and imposing figure. Well, I hope you can hear me again. Hello there. Sorry about that. Technical glitch. The call dropped into the show. But I'm back on, and just a few minutes left here, and we're just picking up our story about the samurai and the, and, uh, the Zen master, Buddhist teacher. And so the samurai says, Oh, man, I have no patience for your uh, tricks today. I demand you just teach me what you know. And the old man says, Fair enough. He says, uh, Do you know the difference between heaven and hell? And the samurai began bristles and says, Come on, of course I know the difference between heaven and hell. He says, But I want you to tell me what your secrets are. And the old man says, I, I, Again, you know, 
I don't have to waste my breath on such an individual. And so the samurai draws his weapon, which means you're going to draw blood. Life for death has now just been tested. And raises his samurai sword, his katana above his head, says, I'm warning you, old man. I'm asking you one more time, and then I'm going to lower my blade and cleave you in two. Tell me, what is the difference between heaven and hell? And he's shaking with rage. And so the old man says, Ah, he says, This is hell. And the samurai gives him a puzzled look. And then immediately, looking at the non-aggressive and compassionate but confident gaze of his teacher, suddenly becomes immediately overcome with shame for his violent behavior and his disrespect. Because the samurai is dedicated his life to respect for all life. And he begins to weep and he trembles and he lowers his sword and starts to cry openly, shame. And the old man says, and this is heaven. That's it for today's program. I hope you've enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on the Mind Whisper. I'm Michael Gordon. Thank you.